0: What's up, Echo Church, who is excited to be here today? You you are grateful to be in the house. Will you make some noise? All of our campuses today, we are so pumped that you are here. And this is a monumental historical day for us as a church. It represents not just a rebrand, not just a new name. It represents the vision that God has given to us. We believe God has called us As a church to echo his love to the ends of the earth. And so if you're joining today and this is your first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. Maybe you got a mailer. Maybe you saw a billboard and you are joining for the first time. We have been South Bay Church for the last nine years. Today, we are going to echo, echo, echo. It's going to be amazing. And uh, as we make this monumental leap as a church... There have literally been thousands and thousands of hours that have been poured into this vision. So many of you who are a part of our dream team, who have served, some of you who have served late into the night, gone home driving, almost sleeping while you're driving home, uh, and put in your heart and soul into getting our campuses ready to prepare for this launch. Can we make some noise and show our gratitude for our dream team? Thank you so much for pouring out your lives. As a part of this vision, and today as we step into becoming Echo Church, I want to wrestle through a question that I believe is at the core of the human struggle. It's a question that we all wrestle through. It's a question I think that is pivotal for you and for me as we look to our future as a church, and it's a question that I think sidelines a lot of people because I believe that there's something God has put inside of you unique. You're one of a kind. There's nobody who will ever walk on the planet like you with your personality, with your hair color, exactly the way it is, with your DNA. God has wired you in a unique way to make a difference here on planet Earth. Yet at the same time, there are lies that we believe internally, and those lies oftentimes will sideline us. Last fall, I was wrestling through this for about a four to six week period of time. And the question that I was wrestling through is, what do I really have to offer? Because when I look around, I see a lot of people who do a lot better than I do. If you you pull out the podcast, there are a lot of preachers who preach greater messages than I do. There are a lot of churches and leaders who are better leaders than I am. There are definitely a lot of dads who are better dads than I am. And there's a lot of insecurity that we can feel as humans because we look at the contribution of others and it's so easy to see somebody else and to see the fact that they do a better job than you. Maybe you feel like this at work. You think, man, there's somebody else down the hallway that does a better job, or there's somebody else that could step into your place and succeed to a greater degree than you do. And the question is, what do I, or what do you really have to offer that's different than what's actually already been brought to planet Earth? I think about this when it comes to businesses and starting new endeavors that there is about 2% of the society that is early adopters or innovators. But the most of us, we're kind of like in that place where we look around and it's easy to think, man, all the companies, great companies have been started, great books have been written. People have already made society a better place. And it's easy to disqualify ourselves before we ever do what God wants us to do with our lives. And as I was wrestling through that question, And really trying to understand what is it that is unique about what I can bring to the table, I discovered something in the Bible that I think will give you hope and gave me a tremendous sense of passion and helped me get through what I was wrestling through at that moment. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you, today's going to be a little bit shorter of a message. And there should not be like noise at that point, okay? It should be more of like, oh, I'm disappointed that it's shorter today. But we're going to get outside at all of our campuses and party. But uh, if you will turn with me for a few moments to Luke chapter one, and we're going to look at a story, just three to four verses in the Bible. And what I want you to see is Luke, who writes the whole gospel account of Luke, was just like you and me. He had a lot of the same challenges that we face. He was a human being, and he was positioned in four accounts of the life of Jesus. You probably have heard them together. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And whenever the Bible is just talked about in the books of the Bible, they're just right there together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But oftentimes, whenever we say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's easy to think that all these guys are actually the same, and they kind of were doing the same thing, but they were all very different when they would write their accounts of the life of Jesus, historical accounts of his life. Now, Matthew was one of the original 12 followers of Jesus. So he was there watching Jesus perform miracles. Mark was written through the perspective of Peter, who was one of the original followers of Jesus. Peter could not actually write Greek, the language that it was written in. So he found this young guy named John Mark who could write for him. And then John was actually one of the original three. He called himself the disciple that Jesus loved the most, which is kind of cool to put that in the Bible. And and then Luke is positioned right there in the middle of it. But what we don't know if we just go right to Luke, we don't understand the context of what Luke had to overcome to actually get to the point where he would write the Bible because Luke wouldn't make a decision to follow Jesus until 20 to 25 years after the resurrection. Now think about that just for a second, if you will, that these early followers of Jesus were with him, they saw him, yet Luke on the other hand came in after the fact. The other disciples or other early followers of Jesus actually were different than him too because they were trained by a rabbi or a religious teacher. But Luke, on the other hand, he was a businessman, he was a physician, and he wasn't the same ethnicity as everybody else. See, in their society, the Jews they believe were better than other people, and they believed that the message of Jesus initially was only for the Jews. It took them close to 20 years to figure out that Jesus' message was to get to the ends of the earth, not just really for the Jews who were spread across the earth, that God wanted people from every nation, tribe, and tongue to know him. Now, Luke, being a Greek, wasn't on the inside, being later wasn't one of the first ones, yet there's this decision-making process that he had to go through, and now he's categorized in the first four books of the Bible, and I want us to see his journey. In verse one, it says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Now, it's interesting, too, because it wasn't instant news. You know, like in our day, I watched a great movie called The Post this week about news and how news has changed. It used to go to a newspaper and it'd take a day to get out. But now it's like it just comes on your phone immediately. It happens and it's right there through a notification. It could have happened five minutes ago. You got a notification. Now, we don't know if it's true or not, but it's there. Um, And here we have all this news that comes at us on demand But in the first first generation or first century, people had to do interviews, there wasn't the newspaper, and it took a while for news to spread, and news was spreading about the life and teaching of Jesus, all the miracles that he had performed, and many of the early eyewitnesses were taking up to write stories of what Jesus had done. And it's believed that even some of the books that later would become books of the Bible were in journal format initially and were just distributed. So there are all these people who've written about the life of Jesus, but Luke, actually his story is a little different. And it says in verse two, they used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I know this is a lot to take in. But I think once you see what Luke went through, it's going to give you tremendous encouragement. See, Luke was different because he had to go on this investigative journey to discover the truth. The early followers of Jesus were right there when it happened. So when they wrote the Bible, they just had to remember something that happened a couple of years ago. But when Luke writes the Bible, he has to go and interview all of these people, hundreds, if not thousands of people, There were about 500 that saw Jesus come back after he had resurrected. They had witnessed his physical presence. So he goes and has all these conversations and there are all these reports circulating. But I want you to imagine with me just for a second what he had to go through because he wasn't a part of the inner circle. He didn't have the initial body of information. He had to spend hundreds, if not thousands of hours investigating, trying to figure out what he believed. In the process, Luke would be changed and he would become convinced of the fact that this wasn't just a normal guy that lived here on planet earth, that he was God in human flesh. And he had to make a decision what he was going to do with the unique part of the story that was within him. See, the beauty is God is writing a story here on planet Earth, and he's been writing a story for thousands of years. And sometimes it's easy to look at the story that God has written and discount ourselves and feel like we don't have a part to contribute. But there's a question that I want you to wrestle through. And the question is, how do you view what's in you? See, there's something unique that God has placed inside of you, just like there was something unique inside of Luke, and what Luke would discover about the story of Jesus. And your view of what is unique about your story will determine whether or not you contribute to the greater story of God. If you believe that there's something unique that he's placed inside of you, and for those of you who are followers of Jesus, your life has been transformed in a unique way, and if you have confidence that there's something unique in you, it will dictate or determine in many ways what you'll do. With what God has placed inside of you. Now, later on, as Luke would write his letter, it's believed that close to 30 to 35% of what he wrote was unique to Luke. And what's unique about what he describes in the life of Jesus, there were all these things that Luke would write about that other followers of Jesus didn't write about. There's the story, you've probably heard of it, of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal, the lost son. Who ran away from God or his father. There's the story of the Good Samaritan and without Luke we wouldn't have a bunch of hospitals called Good Samaritan. There's the story in there of Mary and Martha that we looked at here last week. There's stories about women. Luke seems to elevate women more than any of the other books. Luke talked about people in poverty. He talked about the Holy Spirit. If you include Luke and in Acts more than any of the early followers of Jesus. And there is what the, what historians called, there was a body of information. They didn't have a name for it, so they just affectionately called it Q. That Luke had a bunch of information, so we'll just all lump it together and we'll call it Q. And Luke writes, and there was a section of it that the other followers of Jesus somehow left it out. They missed it. Now imagine... What what must have happened for the early followers of Jesus in that internal struggle where they saw it happen, they were the eyewitnesses, and now somebody else is going to come along and write the story that they saw. And at that point, they didn't necessarily know that it was going to be a part of the Bible, but maybe there was this internal struggle. What do I do about all these other people who are talking about the story? We were there when it happened, and now he's writing about the story. Yet the other question that we have to wrestle through is not only how do you view what's inside of you, but it is how do you view the contribution of others who've gone before you? See, that question also will dictate what you do with what's inside of you. And I find that for most of us, and internally I face this battle, do I see what other people have done before me as a foundation or frustration? That the question of how do you view what people have done before you, whether it is a foundation or frustration, will dictate what you do with the cue that's inside of you because God has placed it there. And it's amazing to think about all the people that have contributed in the last nine years of this church. Hundreds of hours, thousands of hours of prayer and people who have just served and sacrificed and gave financially. And one of the things that I love about this church, and one of the things I love about the people that have poured out their lives over and over and over again, is that the people who have laid the foundation don't look at it and say, oh man, like, what are they doing messing with the thing that I did at the beginning? Like, for example, we have a couple of volunteers who serve like crazy here, just consistently. Glee and Jeff Ballvans at North San Jose serve every Sunday. They're like Cal Ripken Jr. Any you guys remember Cal Ripken Jr.? He was like every baseball game. You could just count on it. If the Orioles came, he's there. And that's what Sunday's like. Jeff and Glee Ballvans, every Sunday, they're just here serving. But Jeff actually served and hung the signs in our North San Jose auditorium five and a half years ago when we moved in here. And then this last week, when all the walls were done in North San Jose, he went around and put this little metal stuff on the walls and faithfully served. And as you notice, like walls are repainted and new signs are up. But what I love is that our people don't say, I painted that sign five and a half years ago. What are you doing putting new paint on that? That was my wall. I love that wall. What are you doing? We understand that it is a future vision that we're after. And so you laid a foundation Every time you served, every time you sacrificed, you were setting up a foundation for future generations. So one day when you look to the future, there are going to be people 10, 20, 30 years down the road from now whose lives have been altered for eternity because you laid the foundation. And I believe that we have a church of people who are willing to change and sacrifice because they believe that it's not about our preferences. It's not about like this, this baby that we birth that nobody can change. It's a sandcastle. It changes over the course of time. We shift and we move. What doesn't change is the vision. It's the vision that God has called us to echo his love to the ends of the earth. So those early followers of Jesus had a choice to make. In fact, you probably heard of some of their names. Peter, John. James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, another James, Simon, Judas, not the one that wanted Jesus murdered, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene. Those were the early followers of Jesus. They were on round one, generation one. They laid the foundation. But what I love about these early followers of Jesus is you read the gospels, the eyewitness accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you move into the book of Acts. And the names are mentioned in like the first three chapters of the book of Acts. But then all of a sudden, something happens where the snowball kicks in. And the rest of the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, there are all these people who start to be used by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, who weren't eyewitness accounts to the original ground floor of what God did. And some of these names, you may have heard of them. Some of them, you haven't heard of them. Most of these names, you will not be naming your children them. Erastus, Gaius, Aristicus, Sopater, Secondus, Cool Names, All Names Club, Tychicus, Trophimus, Aquila, Priscilla, Lydia, Apollos, Epaphroditus. That's a real good one. Sounds like an STD. Oh, sorry. Demis. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Over the top. Um, Demas, Nympha, Anesimus, an- Anesipha. Forest, Claudia, Silas, Artemis, Zenus, Philemon, uh, Phea, Archippus. The names could go on. These are the people who were not eyewitness accounts to the resurrection of Jesus, but they were the ones that he used to spread the church, and the message continued forward. Acts 2. Luke would write and he would say, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on my people and your young men and your old men, your young women and your old women alike will see dreams and have visions and my spirit will move forward. The kingdom of God will expand. See, it oftentimes is easy when great things have happened in the past to feel like, man, I wish I had been there when. But in reality, this is still the ground floor of what God wants to do through our church. That when you look two, three, four, five decades down the road from now, there are gonna be kids and grandkids of those of us who are in the room and at our campuses today that they're gonna say, I wish I was there when it happened. And here's the question that you and I have to wrestle with. What are you gonna do with the cue inside of you? God has put something inside of you that only you can bring to the table. Listen, it's easy when you come through the doors of this church. It it runs. Operationally, it seems to work well most of the time from the outside. On the inside, it's a little messy. But we don't need you as a church for our past, we need you for our future vision. So we're not done with what God's trying to do through us. This is just the foundation and the best of what God wants to do is in front of us. So you can let that work that's happened in the past be your foundation that you come and you join and you stand on. And just like Luke, you have to wrestle through, what are you going to do with the cue that's inside of you? And I love how it says in verse three, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. I'm going to do it. They, they might not like it. It, it might take me longer because I have to investigate it. They, they, I might be criticized because I wasn't an eyewitness account, but I am going to make a decision right now to contribute and put down what I know is true about the message and life of Jesus. And what you need to hear and what we need to embrace today is that our ability to contribute, contribution comes and starts with commitment. That's the starting point. It's the willingness to say, I'm going to take what's inside of me. Contribution starts with commitment. That's the beginning point. Contribution begins with a decision internally. I'm going to take what God has given to me, and I'm going to lay it on the line so that other people can encounter, experience what I've experienced internally. Everybody that has been used by God throughout human history has had to wrestle through their insecurity, has had to wrestle through the fact that other people have gone before and done great things. I mean, think about this. Every time another author comes out and writes a great book, Don't you think that at some point they have to wrestle through Harry Potter's already been written? I mean, the internal struggle of the last movie that was created, every editor and every screen artist has to wrestle through all these great movies that exist. Every podcast that comes out, every tech company, how am I going to create a company better than Apple, a company better than Facebook? But the reality is the greatest companies, the greatest books, the greatest things that will happen in the future have yet to be created been created. And God's put something inside of us together as a church. There are awesome churches in our country, but there is only one echo church that God has called to reach Silicon Valley and Bay Area. That's us. So we're going to step in with confidence, knowing that there are other people who've laid the foundation, but their foundation doesn't discredit us. Their foundation sets us up And oftentimes I think that sometimes we so long for the book of Acts or things that happened historically, but I think that the people in the book of Acts who were there in the first century think, man, send me down there, man, if I could get there where like I could post a message about Jesus and it touches like half the planet in a minute, I want to be there. There has never been a greater generation with opportunity than what we have, and possibly never been a place on planet earth that has been more potent with resources and potential than the Bay Area. So we're going to step in and believe that God wants to use our lives to make a difference. And God has placed a cue inside of you to bring to it. And the foundation has been laid. I love our staff, our volunteers, our dream team, because when somebody new steps up, we're not like, man, this is my church. What are you doing sitting in my seat? Get out of my seat. We're like, come on, baby. We need you. You're a part of something bigger. We celebrate when other people get on the platform. God elevates somebody else aside from us. Jesus and, and the early John the, the, uh, John the Baptist one time said, He must increase, I must decrease. So what we want to do is we want to increase the message of Jesus, and we want to increase the platform of others, and we want to believe that God's put something inside of all of us. But here's the wrestling that I think it comes down to. See, for Luke, he had a mission. He had a purpose. He had something that was driving him. And you know that purpose that was driving him was not just this ethereal sense of, I got to write this. There was a face, and there was a name. And he put it in the Bible. And he said, I have decided to write an accurate account for you, Theophilus, so that you might be certain of the story, so that you might know of the things that have transpired and happened. I have decided because I wanted you, Theophilus, to understand that God has changed me and this good news is for you. And there is a Theophilus in your life. There's somebody right around you. There's a friend, there's a family member, there's a coworker, there's a neighbor, there's a kid, there's a mom, there's a cousin, there's a brother. There is a Theophilus right around you that is waiting for you. My question is, who is your Theophilus? Who's the person that won't be reached if you don't contribute? Who's the family that won't be changed if you don't get into the game? And God wants to take the cue that's in you and reach the Theophilus that's right around you. Could you imagine... If every single person who's a part of this vision were to embrace the the reality that there are people that only we individually can impact, there's a life that only you can touch. And sometimes that life has been prayed for by a grandma somewhere on her knees in Kansas and she's not getting an Echo shirt, but in heaven (laughs) she'll be rewarded. Somewhere that life has been prayed for by somebody and God put you there to reach that Theophilus. And friends, we're going to step into a new season as a church. Greater change in lives, more marriages healed, more people reach with the message of Jesus. And as you think about who your Theophilus is, I want to say one last thing. You do not want to miss next week here at Echo Church because we are launching a brand new teaching series called Swipe Right. And we're going to talk for four weeks about love, sex, and dating. And here's why. Because the Theophiluses in our life And our culture as a whole is broken because of relationships, pain and hurt and sorrow. And we're going to take four weeks to talk about love, sex, and dating specifically. We've never done this as a church around the angle of people who are single in our church. I sat down a couple months ago with singles from our church and I heard their stories of the loneliness and the pain and wrestling through. How do you find the right one? How do you know it's the right time? How do you know you're ready for marriage? And this series is going to be one of the best series we've ever done as a church. You want to bring somebody, be back next week. Now, let me say this. Some of you who are married are thinking, why am I coming to a series for singles? It's free marriage counseling for you. So be back. You don't have to pay a counselor. You don't even have to pay me. Just come back and be here for it. And, you know, I think a part of the reason why is a lot of people get their marriage and their relationship started on the wrong foot. And we're going to go back and we're going to lay a new foundation together. And I believe that there are going to be marriages that are healed. There are going to be people who are single. are going to find comfort in God's love for them. And we're going to experience a tremendous amount of liberty as we kick off that new series next week. Make sure that you're back and bring the Theophilus so that God can change that person who's around you.